This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you here on our first Spring Equinox show, Eric. Here we go. It's here from here on out for a few weeks. Boy, we're going to be jam-packed with a ton of news and a ton of sports, and it's going to be wild. And, it, and little sleep. Yeah. What is, <laughs> That's, what is that? That sleep's a rumor. Yeah. I know. You're going to get even less sleep than, than during the Australian Open. Yeah, that's well, it's gonna be close. It's yeah, be close. At least, yes. at least I don't have to worry about the Olympic hockey since the United States got uh, punked out by Slovakia. Nice job, guys. Jesus, the one well, everybody watched. See, okay, here you are already crapping on the Olympics. When remember, it's not NHL guys this year. Oh, it definitely. I watched the game. It definitely wasn't NHL quality at all. I agree, hundred <laughs> percent. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> the laughing you hear in the background is Kyle Nash, who's joined us to talk about basketball here in the first segment. We got that. Greg Lovelady is joining us in the second segment to preview his team coming up for the uh, – they start their season this week. Uh, and then we'll also talk about a big weekend of softball. Eric Lopez, who made a cameo appearance on the SportsCenter Top 10 this week. That's right. Wow. Nothing like me showing up. That's right, folks. You can hear my voice now on SportsCenter Top 10s here. That's, thank you to the UCF players. Great 24th. I think it should be your. I think it should be your cell phone ringtone, like you know everything. Just you know, just dive right in. So I have the Shannon Doherty walk off homer there on my ringtone, but we'll go ah. with that later. We'll talk about that later. So uh, let's start with UCF women's basketball. We are recording this on Wednesday, February sixteenth. The student of the game himself, Kyle Nash, joins us. The SOTG on Twitter, Kyle. What is up, man? We've got a. Uh, this is a big week for. Uh, UCF women's hoops because you know we we talked about it heading into last weekend Super Bowl Sunday that big game with USF and man did UCF open up a can on the Bulls held them to 33 points uh, in a 54-33 victory um, in Tampa UCF sweeps the season series with South Florida and effectively is in full command of the American athletic conference regular season title race. I 18 and three now overall 10 and one on the, in the conference schedule. What, what happened in this game? What it, it was, it did what has happened with South Florida or was it, was it all UCF? Well, I mean, we look at it last time, gentlemen, last time we were talking, or I should say two times ago when we were talking, last time I spoke with you, Elo, you were lamenting the inability of the UCF women's team to go off to a quick start in the first quarter. And the only time they did it was against USF. Gentlemen, I think you see that. And then you saw it amplified. I find it interesting, by the way, the top scorer being Brittany Smith. Like, did she start this game? I don't remember, but... It wouldn't surprise me if she was, in fact, off the bench doing just that with the 17 points. Masni Kamba as well with 14. Gentlemen, it's a few games back when in the postgame press press conference, Coach Abe announced, hey, just so everybody knows, they're going to play zone against us. And really, all it's done is reveal that the post players can shoot it from the high post. And they've been doing that. Even Destiny Thomas has a double-double in there. And it's not that she can't score. She just typically is 
you know, the 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 lunge pail rebounder. And 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 she has been doing that very but the past couple games, it's Brittany Smith or Mousney Kamba taking the load with scoring and rebounding. It's just all a matter of who's rotating and who's feeling what what vibe when. Yeah. At the end of the day, gentlemen, maybe that zone's not working. If things go well again tonight against Wichita State, I might have to ask Coach Abe about that. Well, it was uh, they held USF to 12 total points in the second half, which is just unbelievable when you really think about how good Jose Fernandez's offense is just standing still. Um, Masnikava in 37 minutes, 6 of 12. Brittany Smith did come off the bench 25 minutes, 8 of 12 from the field. So combine those two. 14 of 24 from the field, 13 combined rebounds, uh, and 31 of UCF's 54 points. They almost outscored USF by themselves. Uh, yeah, thir- it was 33-31 USF when you think when you think about that in front of 2,000 people. So, um, big stat though, Jeff. Got to throw this out there. It's definitely the perimeter defense once again. Two mm-hmm. for 19 from the cheap seats. Listen. The, the the these the ladies of South Florida are usually far better at catapulting from the arc. That did not happen even remotely in this game. So Eric Lopez, let's talk about this. We are at the, the the situation with UCF. They haven't wrapped up the conference regular season title yet, but effectively they have a three game lead with four to go. Is that right? Yeah, they have a two-game lead in USF plus the tiebreaker. So it's basically a three-game lead. I mean, Jose Fernandez, even on his radio post-game show to our good friend Derek Sharp, told him basically conceded the race. <laughs> like, like, if this was a presidential election, he would have already called the, the his opponent and conceded the race. Um, yeah, it's going to take a bar, a massive collapse uh, for them not to win their first regular season championship since 2005 when they yeah, won the A-Sun. The Last year in the A-Sun, that's right. Gail Striegler. We were there. <laughs> Gail Striegler was the head coach. But, you know, Kyle, you mentioned that defense. To hold South Florida to two threes, the perimeter. That's how they suffocated them. They rattled them throughout the game. It was maybe the best defensive performance in the in the Abe era. In fact, Coach Abu, as you've gotten to know, tends to be a little critical of her team. You know, hey, we, gotta, we could do this better or not. She was asked after the game, was this the best defensive performance of the year? And here's what she had to say. South Florida only 33 points. That's big. I mean, they're a great scoring team. Um, we just did a great job in the second half. They only scored five points in the fourth quarter and seven, I think, in the third quarter. So our defense and our press really came tonight. Oh, there you go. She was pretty satisfied with that defense, and rightfully so, to shut down South Florida. It's the fewest points South Florida's ever scored against UCF. It's the 14th time since Coach Abe has walked on campus. They have allowed less than 40 points to an opponent. And they're number two in the country in points allowed again. Unbelievable. Yeah, I need to do uh, research, Elo. I need to figure out how many quarters they've held opponents under 10 points. I feel like they average one quarter under 10 points per game. Right. I agree with you. No, yeah. The <laughs> net latest so, net. Oh, go ahead. Uh, uh, go ahead, Kyle. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, just, just find a weakness in here because I don't know what it is. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> Well, we saw it, you know, a couple weeks ago, you mentioned the high post game. And I think that was what kind of where UCF was that teams thought that they could attack UCF defensively by kind of forcing the, forcing the bigs outside of the, uh, of the charge arc. 
the 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 charge block arc. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Now they're just hitting shots on the outside, and you know, e- e- and and if that happens, forget it because now you're gonna that's gonna open up things for the guards. And I'm looking at the net rankings right now. Eric, UCF is 32 now, highest team in the American. They are now nine spot or excuse me, eleven spots ahead of South Florida, who's 43rd. Um, and now they're now they're knocking on the door of the top 30. Now they're probably going to come back to the field a little bit more here in the next couple of weeks because or, or because they in the four games they have left, three of them are at home. Uh, but as I pull up the schedule here, yeah, three of them are at home. Obviously, Wichita State Wednesday night, 6 p.m. ESPN plus at Temple for some reason at Temple, man. That's the last road game of the year, but that place just McGonagall Hall, man. I don't know what I don't know what to say about it. And then the last weekend uh, or the last week of the season, Saturday, February 26th against Cincinnati. Cincinnati is um, dead last in the league. And then Tulsa, of all people, to finish it out, who's in the middle of the pack at four and five in the league. So, yeah, they're going to come back to the field a little bit here in terms of the net ranking. But I think you still got to be pretty happy with their with 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 the situation as it is. Right. Well, here and here's what's at stake too. You mentioned that's the net rankings. You look at the polls that came out this week, and and especially the one on Tuesday. They're ranked 26. They're right there. They're receiving votes. They're 26. They're knocking on the door. This program has never been ranked in the top 25 since in the Division One era since they entered that's, Division One, I, I believe, in 1984. And that's in the coaches' uh, poll. Correct. Yeah. And listen, the no, no, no one's more incompetent in polls than women's basketball voters. We all know that. But even they can't deny this team if they take care of business this week, or let's just say we'll be conservative, win out. They're going to be ranked in the top 25. Now, Charlie Kareem in his latest bracketology has UCF as an eight seed. They are slated to play future Big 12 foe Kansas up in uh, the Spokane region will be played in Palo Alto. Stanford's the number one seed, the national champions. Holy smokes. But What's up with these guys sending out, sending UCF out to California? What is going new, on it's here? It's the new thing, man. It's the new tr- – see, Todd Dagen and UCF Volleyball just started a trend. You know, that's all they're doing. Uh, <laughs> but, um, look, that's the de- – this team is not going to lay down all of a sudden. Now, they have – they have a they have room for a mulligan, but this team doesn't want to do that. They want to. I think they got a shot to be this first team ever to be ranked in the top twenty-five if they take care of business against Wichita State and Temple. Uh, and if not, I mean, it has to be that week. I, I can't imagine they wouldn't be ranked in the top twenty-five. But again, it is a women's basketball poll, and coaches there or not. That's you know they're very incompetent in general. But uh, we'll see. That's the to me what's at stake. And this team right now is clicking on all cylinders. You you can just sense the swagger. Going into that court, they wanted USF badly. Brittany Smith told the ESPN, Roy Philpot, our friend, by the way, what happens when he does a UCF sporting event? We usually win, by the way. Just throw out the <laughs> no. shout out to Roy Philpot. Yeah, but as you yeah, said, uh, they want they remember last year how they were that close to a championship and how they lost the championship with USF getting rewarded a mm-hmm. forfeit. They did not want it to come down to anything like that. They wanted it in their own hands, and that's what they did exactly on that Sunday. Not, not only that, but also that game in Tampa where Alicia Lewis had a shot to tie at the at the yeah. at the buzzer. Remember that? Sure. A- after yeah, that absolutely. dramatic comeback in that game, so UCF faces Wichita State. They beat Wichita earlier this year back on January 29th by 18 points in Wichita. Uh, the Shockers not having a great year, three and seven in the conference, twelve and eleven overall, uh, and four and six 
on the road. Again, tip off at 6 p.m. on Kyle Nash will be in attendance. Yes, he will. Yes, sir. Speaking of which, Kyle Nash, we also got to hop over to the men's side because they got themselves a uh, listen. I am never going to downplay a UCF team beating Tulsa. (laughs) Let's be real here. All right. They've been our bugaboo since we entered this league. And we got the win over them, 76 to uh, 67. Never trailed during the game. Um, and, uh, and and again, it was it was a, it, uh, one of those games where it was the outside shooting that really, you know, carried the day for, um, for the Knights. They had a double-digit lead at halftime by 11. They were up by as much as, I believe, 17. Was that their largest lead? I think that's the largest lead that I can remember. Um, Things got a little chippy at times. There were three technical fouls called on UCF, believe it or not. But um, key stats, four guys in double figures for UCF. Mahan, Darius Johnson, Darius Perry, and uh, Darren Green Jr. Brandon Mahan led everybody. He was six of eight, five of six from three-point range, 17 points, five rebounds, four assists. Sort of a stat filler game for him. Darius Johnson, uh, I thought, played really well at the point. Five of 12, uh, 14 points, five assists. And two steals in that game. Darius Perry had five steals to go with 12 points and 12 points, four assists, and six rebounds. Another uh, stat filling it. This was this was a game where uh, you, you know we saw what UCF can be at their very best, right? Um, because Tulsa, you know, really did not have an answer for anything that they threw at them. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's a great way to put it. And, and I'll put it to you this way: I, it, it's it's so funny. We've We've talked about the point way back after the Michigan game that the Michigan game may have had its own negative influence despite being a dominant comeback win. And that's kind of pan. Something else that uh, our man himself, Shikin Bakajong, brought up after the Houston game is that even though they lost um, pretty big in the final score, throughout that game, there were moments uh, of competition and outright greatness by this team. And I think they've built on that. Brandon Mayhan's return. Listen, as a first-year guy uh, covering college basketball, I'm amazed how much that I'm able to predict when Mayhan's going to go hot or not. And I told you guys a couple weeks back that these this this docket of games is going to put them in a position to kind of trend Mayhan upward. They're a little bit, air quotes, lesser opponents. He gets the opportunity to kind of feel it and get back into the swing. Um staving off the Wichita state um, um, sweep and managing to split with them on the season worked out very nicely. And that was the arrival of Brandon mayhem. I think he had 19 in that one, 17 here. And we're starting to see that Johnny Dawkins UCF style of basketball with four double digit scoring player, uh, uh, players. And Oh, by the way, by the way, Zhang and Walker was seven apiece. That's the sharing and caring kind of basketball we would see on the offense if for Dawkins uh, to have a successful outing with this group. I like that the turnovers were only at 15. I like that they got to the free throw line as much as they did. So, you know, Tulsa has that own stigma tied to playing it. And, hey, give them credit. They did well from three, but I could argue that that's the only reason it was as close as nine points. So, Eric, out goes UCF to Houston on Thursday night. (laughs) 9 p.m. tip. ESPN yeah. two in the Fertitta yep. center. Um, Houston is, well, they're Houston. Uh, obviously now 
they're, well, they're going to be angry. They're going to be angry. They've lost two in a row, lost at SMU and lost at home to Memphis. Their home long win streak hmm. has come to an end. And you kind of yeah. wonder if those injuries that Houston's had is now starting to catch up with them a little bit here. I think this makes the conference tournament pretty wide open when they go to Fort Worth. Uh, but look, I like what you're saying there, by the way, and I'll talk. About I think it, it is second. wide open. I, I do think it's wide open, but look, UCF's played well. I, they were efficient offensively when Brandon Mayhem and Darius Perry play efficiently. This is a good offense and they were combined 10 of 14 from the field. They hit seven threes. They also combined for eight assists. I thought they did. And then defensively, they were active. Uh, Tulsa does a good job turning, uh, protecting the basketball. They only average giving up uh, a lot, like 12 turnovers does Tulsa. UCF turned them over 18 times and turned that into 26 points. So I think it was a good all-around game. But they're going to have to take it to a different level, as Coach Dawkins talked about after the game. Houston presents still a lot of issues despite the injuries they have. They're one of the best defensive teams in the nation. And when they're on defensively, they smother you. I mean, you don't seem like you can breathe out there on the floor. I mean, I watch our, you know, not just us, but different teams play against them. You you rarely get a good opportunity, you know, offensively against them when they're really locked in like that defensively. And offensively, I think they complement it with just understanding who they are. You know, they this year, they're more of a post-dominant team, so they've been going inside a lot to Josh Carlton. And to uh, Fabian White, those guys have been, they've been playing off of those stalwarts in the inside interior. And, uh, you know, when they had Sasser and those guys before the injuries, of course, they would utilize those guys more. So they really do play to their strengths offensively real well, and those guys are productive, and then they smother you defensively. Yeah, so that was Coach Dawkins talking uh, about what UCF has to do against Houston. Now, one point, though, that I wanted to make, you know, we go back to that previous meeting between the two here in Orlando. Let's not forget that UCF was kind of neck and neck with them until about the seven minute mark. It was, it was a four point game with seven minutes to go. And then Houston kind of turned on the jets after that. But Kyle, I mean, you, you try and take some of that away and say, okay, well, you know, the defense was working, but then everything kind of collapsed at the, at the end of it, you know, but is Houston gettable in this situation? Well, I'll put it this way. Yeah. Uh, like UCF got beat as bad as they did by Houston because they were scoreless in the last five minutes of the game. End of story, period, point blank, insert platitude to end point here. Okay. But, <laughs> and it's funny with Tulsa, they had, they didn't score for about the last four minutes and still had what they had. Right. And when I say didn't score, I mean, from the field. Right. So if they're in a position to where, they're moving the ball 18 assists gentlemen if they're moving the ball like that there's no way that they're going to put themselves in a position to be scoreless for five or six minutes straight especially to close a basketball game so that coupled with houston's injuries listen elo i'm down with anger but you can be angry all day if you're still trying to walk with only one leg you ain't moving any faster no matter how angry you are so you know, now if they, if some of these injuries, if they're if they're recovering from that, I don't know what the status. No, I mean Sasser's out for the year. I mean they got a yeah, couple starters. That's the out, big one. Yeah, he's the big one. But I, I, here's the thing that I would counter to this: Houston's defense suffocates teams. That uh, Coach Dawkins said that in the post game after the Tulsa win, and a guy in particular that they've had historically have really done a good job on, on is Mayhem. Mayhem has struggled yeah. against Houston. So the question's going to be, how does UCF get some offense? Because 
if they take out mayhem that puts more pressure on a darius johnson it puts more pressure on darren green this, this team that's why houston let's give them credit in that game in orlando you were there kyle in person you were there in person jeff everybody was there in person uh <laughs> except me i was watching at home so they suffocated him down the stretch and they make it tough you can't expect UCF to hit 10 threes Dawkins said that in the post game so they're gonna have to be creative offensively I think they got to go inside more I think they got to go more inside to Mbake Jong I think they got to go inside more to Walker get Houston in foul trouble this is going to be a physical game they they Houston likes to play physical the officials tend to let them play that way you're gonna have to play physical so that that's gonna be the challenge though is can UCF get enough offense I think UCF can defend them but can they get enough offense against a good defense with Calvin Sampson leading the uh, head coach there one thing that I, that I was really an admirer of watching Houston play in that in that first game at home was you know we've on this show wax poetic about Kelvin Sampson constantly mm. um and he bring back the suit bring back the suit no Come why on. would he what's the point we, but, me and Murph, um, we missed the game when he takes the tie off at 30 seconds it, in. I mean, we come on. What, anyway, what I admire the most about what Kelvin is able to do as a coach for the team is you could tell, and Kyle, I want to know if you, if you could tell this too watching the game. You could tell that every guy who was out there on Houston knew the scouting report on every UCF player on offense cold. Every time Brandon Mahan got the ball, they forced him to go left because they knew that he really struggles going left, and he, and he doesn't finish well with his left hand. They disrupted Darren Green Jr. constantly. They did not allow him to catch and shoot. They had a body in his face at all times. And that's the mark of a, re, of a really well-coached team. Your players are all on the same page, know exactly what they have to do against a given opponent. And that's why even despite the two straight losses, guys, they're still sixth in the net, right? They are... You know, obviously still the odds on, I think still the odds on favorite in the league. And this is going to be a really tough ask. And then you're talking, and then it comes down to these last four games where Eric, you know, it's, I I think the goal right now is to get to that number five slot because that enables you to get the buy. Yeah, you can move up in the seeds, get them right by the first round. The other thing I don't like about this game, real quick, you and I, I think, are on the same page on this. Houston's coming off two straight losses. I don't like that. I wish they would have beaten yeah. Memphis. I'm not a fan of playing teams. They're that good. You know they're going to be – I'm telling you, I think you're going to see yeah, Houston as intense, off of loss. Yeah. intensity. Mm. That first five minutes, UCF's going to have to weather the storm early because I think Houston's going to bring the intensity early defensively and try to turn UCF over. But, Kyle, here's, here's the deal. Even with this game, I think we touched upon it last week, but I still want to touch upon it again. Get through the Houston game. Let's Let's – Let's let's consider that for the moment what it is. All right. Let's say UCF is unable to get it get the job done in Houston. They would be 15 and 9 overall, 7 and 7 in conference with four games to go. Those four games are home for ECU, who's third to last in the league, home for Cincinnati, who's right behind UCF at six and six, five hundred in the league. And then on the road at Tulane. Tulane kind of Tulane scares me, man. They're nine and five in the league. They're having a really good year mm-hmm. um, in, in conference. And then at Tulsa to uh, Tulsa to finish the season, because of course, even though Tulsa's <laughs> two, even though Tulsa's uh, two and eleven on the year, you get to see you they get did, to see him on now, senior in fairness, night. In fairness, UCF did win there last year. So they did win there last year. True. 
it's still freaking Tulsa. Oh, listen, so, nobody wants, nobody wants ever, nobody's ever like, hey, I'm getting on a flight to Tulsa. I'm excited. Nobody ever says that. Never. I've done that. I've done that twice and I don't, I never get excited. So what are the odds that they can sneak into that fifth spot? Because right now they're basically one game back of Temple for that number five spot and that first round by. So, you know, using some element of logic here, right? I feel like there's only uh, one, maybe two games I'm going to call a solid win despite the fear of Tulsa, right? And that would be ECU and Tulsa, okay? Um, as far oh as since you they lose lane, to Tulsa, I'm blaming you for this. Anyway, go ahead. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm playing with house money. I'm not the one that's jinxed losses to South Florida. Anyways. Wow. So, We're just throwing jabs here already. Wow. Fair point. Fair Jade. point. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, no, but um, yeah, so so those two I feel good about. Um, although with Tulsa, rather than uh, claiming that 100% chance, I'll call that more of a seven, uh, 75. Like if, if, if the ECU game is a loss, that is just absolutely disappointing and devastating. There's no way around it. Um, I'm kind of calling uh, the Cincinnati game uh, a 50-50, you know, simply because they're teams of similar ilk. You know, yep. and then and then uh, the slight, same, maybe a slight edge because we're at home. Yeah, correct. But you know, listen, I'm not, I'm not, you know, taking my shoes off to count. So, and then, um, and then um, the two lane game. I'm with you. That's scary as well. That's like 50, 50, 60, 40, right? So putting all that kind of together in my head, like there's like a 65, 70 percent chance they can pull this off if they get that two lane game. Like they're all but there. In, in my mind, um, to finish strong. And and in doing that, they'll accomplish the 19-9 and nine goal we set for them a few weeks back when we were procrastinating, or uh, prognosticating, rather. Um, well, we were doing that, too, but anyway. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, that, that's more before the show. But, um, <laughs> you know, and, and with all that in mind, I, I, I mean, listen, I'm confident with it. And, and, you know, I'll put it this way. Gentlemen, tonight, again, or not tonight, I'm sorry, the Houston game on the road, the strategy that will win for them, I think, will work throughout the rest of the season just in this statement. Brandon Mahan, don't force shots. If I'm Johnny Dawkins, I'm telling Brandon, Brandon Mahan tonight, you're not going to get 19 or 17 points. You aren't the game plan. Now, if they decide to, like, completely smother um, Darren Green with a triple team and you're wide open. Yeah, chuck that beast. But you're not going to be the big scorer tonight because I think they're going to lock on him. And I think they're going to lock on Darren Green, which means, the, uh, you know, the point guard pair of Darius and Darius at law, uh, <laughs> Darius pair, Darius Johnson. And then like Gabriel and Gabriel when he had the football back in football, right? Exactly. And then, of course, with um, with Bakke and, and Walker, I'd love to see contribution from them. I hope uh, Jamil Reynolds isn't in street clothes for this game because I think his rotation will be important. Right. You know? But I, I'm with Eric that they need more of the big man thing. That's all nice. But Brandon Mahan not forcing shots. That discipline is what's going to be necessary for that. Right. Game. Take the high quality shots like you did against Tulsa. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. The uh, and by the way, the other thing is obviously we got, you know, Scoreboard watching is what it is, but Temple has six games left. This is what they've got left. Home for SMU. That's tough. At Cincinnati, tough. At Memphis, tough. Home, Tulane, tough. Yeah, At they Houston, got, tough. Right? They they've could got a chance to move up here. Yeah. Well, the, uh, yeah, UCF, UCF has a chance to move that's up. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They, they finished with, South, with South Florida, Temple does. So like, that's five eminently losable games for Temple. So, yeah. 
hold serve if you're UCF, get that by. And like you said, get to the tournament, get to the conference well, tournament. Yeah. And here's anything the thing. can happen. If you get to the top four, top five seed, let's say you could get to 20 wins. You got, you probably can make the NIT and guess yeah. what? That's a successful year. I know some will disagree with that. That's a successful year. To me, that was kind of the, to me, that was realistic. It was the NIT, the NCAA. You kind of need some breaks, some luck. They didn't get it this year. The league's yeah. down, et cetera. 20 wins is nothing to sneeze at. That would be a successful year. So we'll see. That's the goal. I think we'll see if they can get there, though. We'll see if they can get there. Long right. way to let's go. Get, let's get to uh, uh, one last thing as we finish up here. Let's talk to talk uh, a little football news before we take a break and get to Greg Lovelady. Cam Good, who had a, a, a really good season um, last year for UCF, was a key guy in the uh, uh, on the defensive line for football. He has – this is a bit of a surprise. He has announced – that he is going into the transfer portal. Um, this is a little bit of a shocker here, Eric Lopez, because, uh, well, I mean, let's face it, they, uh, nobody really saw this one coming. Nobody ever does. That's as we've talked in past Well, are you sure well, about that? Well, except for a certain Hawaiian quarterback that went to <laughs> you know, West and then Norman. Anyway, um, yeah, no, look, obviously you don't expect that in February, but, you know, that's, that's welcome to the transfer portal era. So yeah. uh, I don't believe this is a coaching staff thing. Uh, this is probably a, just a different opportunity or whatever. Uh, look, he was a good player, pun intended. He's a redshirt red junior for, you right. know, last year, so he's going to uh, be a redshirt senior next year. Right. I But he's not a great player. He could be replaced. The bigger issue is the loss of nutrition now here, Kyle, in the defensive line when you put it in totality. Now you lose Cam Good. Remember, big cats moving on, graduating, right? Khalid Davis is moving. Now all of a sudden, there's some questions on this defensive line, and this staff, I think, will be aggressive between now and the start of the season. They're going to try to find a defensive lineman in the transfer portal, but now this defensive line's a question mark going, going in 2022 right now because of the loss of nutrition here. I love the use of the term nutrition. More specifically, protein, because we're talking about beef. Listen, in my mind, <laughs> uh, maybe I will draw disagreement. So be it. It's your right to be wrong. I think Cam Good is a bigger loss than Big Cat. I said it. I said Ow. it. At least on the football field. Now, because Big Cat Bryant, it was a captain, and I think he was a motivational force. You could argue he's more important. All that, and I get that. For my money, Cam Good is excellent at what he does. And defensive, listen, defensive tackles of talent are harder to find than edge rushers. Edge rushers can get a little bit of glory, okay? That's a thing that can happen. You can play a little bit more wild. You can get away with being a little less disciplined if you can get to the quarterback and make a good move that way. Good defensive tackles that can handle, that can move well while also being strong are a big deal. That's the whole reason Kalia Davis is going into the NFL is because he can be that guy. And I hope he recovers well to make an impact. But the punchline is this, gentlemen. Um, over and among the fact he was an awesome human being to talk to, um, the 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 nutrition, the the protein, I don't know that they can find an adequate protein supplement to truly replace Cam Good. Maybe, especially this late. We'll see. Although this staff... Yeah. This staff, don't underestimate this staff. Look what they've done and what they've brought in. So sure. let's not underestimate Gus and this staff and what they're capable of. And I don't disagree necessarily with your point. My bigger picture is if you lose one of those two guys, okay, you can try, you know, you can try, you can, it's easier to replace one than trying to replace both. 
And right. the problem is now they got to replace both plus Kalia Davis. That's a lot of people to replace. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. The uh, stats for, uh, for camp I'm trying to pull on, it's a little slow here, but um, had three sacks in 2020. Didn't have any last year. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but you know, was still, you know, again, different coaching staff and also it was still, uh, was still a pretty significant key. I had 23 tackles, 13 of them solo last season, one interception, uh, mm-hmm. uh, obviously and forced four fumbles. So, um, you know, that's it, it, it but still, you, know, you talk about beef in the middle, those defensive tackles, what they do, the most important thing that they do is not show up in the statistics Very you know, good. in terms of yeah. keeping offensive linemen away from your linebackers and your outside guys. You're so, going to need some of the bummer. guys, younger guys on the staff to step up. I mean, that's yeah. the bottom line. Best, that's cool. Let's say best of luck to Cam. Hope he finds where he's. Uh, you know, hope he finds a home where he wants to go and and uh, and sees incredible success. Once night, always night, always. All right, we take a break. Oh, by the way, but but before we go, I can't let the student of the game out of here without saying, make sure you follow Kyle at the SOTG on Twitter uh, for all the latest uh, UCF basketball news as well. So, uh, women's basketball tonight. We're recording this Wednesday against wichita state at 6 p.m at yeah by the time you're listening it is kyle kyle is on his way to the arena or at the arena or leaving the arena or the game is going on right now yeah uh and then uh men's basketball tomorrow which kyle will uh will not be at the uh (laughs) he's he's traveled enough he spent a week in los angeles rubbing elbows with with all the all the celebrities out there you know in in la what a week for kyle nash um it's good to be the student of the game isn't it Jeez, it has its moments i got something for you that i brought back uh by the way jeff so uh we'll put we'll have to get together on that sometime and you know Dude, right. came, came good, fair and well. Uh, I, I hope he turns lessons into blessings. That as so famous. You come up with this stuff. I can't, I can't take credit for that. He actually used that in a presser when I asked him some questions. And that was each, actually even a title of one of my pieces um, before I jumped over here to the banneret. So there you go. Um, but anyways, gentlemen, yeah. honor, joy and privilege. And until next time, class dismissed. All right. When we get back. Greg Lovelady joins us. Here in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast to preview UCF baseball for 2022. The new scoreboard is up. How much will UCF light it up this year? We'll find out from Greg Lovelady when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret podcast back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here. Bryson Turner also joining us here and joining us now for his annual meeting usually we would do this in his office but covid being what it is second straight year we got to do it on zoom but you know what i it's 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 a tradition unlike any other to quote jim nance greg lovelady joining us for a ucf baseball preview head coach of the ucf knights as his team gets ready to start the 2022 season on friday night 6 p.m against the siena saints at john uliano park joining us from his office what's up greg how are you i'm good man thanks for having me it's uh I really know it's baseball season now. I know it's opening week when we, when we get to get to do this. So I uh, appreciate you having me on as always. I know, man. So, so I saw you, uh, I was at the fan fest, which was cool. Uh, really cool event that for everyone is there. And we were, we were chatting for a little bit and you brought up a really cool statistic. And I wanted to see if you could bring that up for us again, that, uh, you know, uh, about the amount of talent you have returning 
this year. Last year, with all these new guys, you still came within, what, 180 feet of a conference championship in Clearwater. This year, you got some experience in your back pocket. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, we had 690 career bats on our roster opening day last year. This year, we have, you know, over 3,500. Um, and so uh, we definitely offensively have a lot more experience. And I think that you can't teach that. Yeah. Uh, it's not something that you can, can, you know, do something in practice to get it. I mean, you, you try different things to try to make things game-like and, you know, playing fall games and everything, but it, it's, it's not necessarily the one game. It's, it's just the, the ebbs and flows of a season. It's the cat and mouse, the chess match of, you know, another team watching video and, and trying to figure out your weaknesses and then you having to adjust to that. And so um, from an offensive standpoint, it just, it, it's, it's really a little bit comforting to know we have so much experience, so many guys that have been through it. I mean, you know, again, last year only really only Ben McCabe had been through a full season um, of playing a lot. Uh, Jeffrey was on the team in 19. Uh, the rest of the guys had 18 games in 20 and that was it. And so, um, you know, just really, really excited, you know, to have that experience from an offensive standpoint and, and, um, you know, excited to see how we, you know, cause again, I thought we had a really good offensive year last year, especially as the season went on um, the second half of the season, we were super offensive. So as those guys learned and, and got to understand uh, we got better and better every game. So hopefully we can, you know, start off on a better foot, you know, from an offensive standpoint and continue to make that same growth, but finish, you know, hopefully a lot higher than we finished last year. Talk about the infield. Seems like you got a ton of depth in the infield. Alex Freeland, a, a, just a stud leading the way. Just talk about your infield and how it looks uh, going into the season. Yeah, I mean, I think the one of the cool things about this team is the versatility. I think we have a lot of guys that can play multiple positions. So obviously, Alex anchors the infield uh, as a premier shortstop in this in the country, um, not only defensively but offensively. So um, you know, it's always you got to be good up the middle. So to have a guy like that up the middle really really starts to solidify your de your defense. Um, you know, Michael Brooks and Tom Jostin are, are two guys that we really believe are, are going to be big parts. Tom was obviously a huge part of our team last year has super versatility can play pretty much anywhere on the field except you know maybe shortstop and catcher and center field so uh, can play multiple positions uh, Michael Brooks a big transfer from Arkansas um, you know has obviously been um, kind of groomed in terms of playing for Team USA and, and playing in the Future Star Series with some of the best kids in the country so he's always been around good players always had a lot of success um, and so, you know, obviously the fact that he's never played in college, but he, you know, obviously was in college last year at Arkansas and then transferred us and sat out. So, I mean, he's older, he understands, but he's been through it. So I expect a big year out of him again with Tom. Um, and, and again, Nick Romano, you know, is a big part of what we got to do. Um, I mean, talk about stepping up for, for the loss of Crouch and Rathbone. Romano just fought injuries all last year played really well the last three or four weeks of the season, including the tournament. Um, but has been our best player in practice for the last three years. Um, and so just excited to hopefully keep him healthy and, and let him, you know, show everybody what we've kind of seen in practice on how good he can be in a middle order of the bat. Um, and then you get, again, you got guys like, um, John Montez, you got a uh, freshman like Lex Bodecker who can play first base or the outfield or even or even third. Uh, Ryan Taylor, who, who is a superb shortstop. 
um, as a freshman. So, um, I mean, we have options. Nick Romano could actually play third base. So well, we have different things that we're able to do and whether that's starting different guys or maneuvering uh, things late in the late in the game that are going to give us the ability to give us the best matchups that we can have uh, to try to, to try to be able to score late in the game or, or do what we need to do. This is the deepest team you've had here from an infield standpoint, it sounds like to me. Is that accurate from uh, since you've been here? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think it's just the deepest team. I mean, as you start to, you know, recruiting is so different in baseball where, you know, you get hired as a new football coach. Like you can, you go and get your recruits from that class. You can try to flip guys. You can do all that kind of stuff. But we don't do that in baseball. Plus the recruiting kids commit so much earlier. So, um so again, like 2020, those freshmen were really the first freshmen that I got to really recruit. Um, you know, we had to get some guys that fell through the cracks and, and a lot of transfers and junior college kids and things like that when I first got here. And we flipped that model starting with that 20 classes. So now we're starting to st stack classes on top of classes. Um, and you just start building the culture, but you also start building the depth that you really feel like you need in order to not only play the season but then also prepare for the future and so it's exciting to know that we're really starting to get um not only talented players but a a full roster of talented players that depth should should certainly help you when you have injuries you talked about you know keeping nick romano healthy and injuries you talked how, how injuries seem to really 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 seem to favor you like really like you guys last season and we we saw Andrew Bray exit fall ball with a bit of an injury there can you give a quick update on him and just when do you think we might be able to see him back yeah so so Andrew you know has uh, popped his shoulder out left left shoulder a couple of times so decided to go in there and get that cleaned up and just tighten it back up so he had that surgery um you know back in November um so he just got cleared uh, to start doing some baseball related stuff. I mean, he's been working out and stuff and just rehabbing the shoulder, but um, he started um, doing, you know, some basic uh, defensive work and throwing and things like that. Uh, he starts swinging here like in another week or two. Uh, so I would assume he'll be back before the middle of the season. He should be ready to go. I mean, he should again start, start swinging here in a week and probably need about, about three to five weeks of, of swinging and getting used to that and then just progressing him back into full baseball activity. So, um, you know, definitely by conference time, he should be back in the mix uh, and, get, and even increase our infield depth. Greg, I want to ask you about the pitching staff. You know, last year, obviously, Colton Gordon, as good as he was, and then and then we lose him to the injury. Um, of course, he's moved on. A couple other guys have moved on. So what's the plan right now? What, what are you thinking is going to be your rotation Friday, Saturday, Sunday, at least as of right now? Yeah, so opening day, we're going to go with David Litchfield, you know, who's been our closer uh, setup guy the last couple of years. Um, but, you know, we, we've tinkered with him doing this last year. Um, and, uh, you know, just – just kind of more like needed to see what other guys would do and Hunter guys like Hunter Patterson stepped up and whatnot. And we needed that kind of guy at the back end that we could trust. So we left him there. Uh, but again, this year, we kind of, the whole fall, we, we, we allowed him to, to um, extend innings um, and really kind of prepare as a starter again, not knowing exactly what we were going to have. Um, but um, you know, he has more prototypical starter stuff than he does closer stuff. He's not a big strikeout guy. He's more about missing barrels because he's got the sinker and the cutter. Uh, so it's really tough to barrel him up, um, but he doesn't get a lot of strikeouts, which isn't what really what you're looking for at the end of the game. He obviously has more of a starter temperament. You know, he's kind of cool, calm and collected. Nothing phases him. You can never really see any emotion from him. Um, 
where again, doing that over the course of five, six, eight innings of a, of a, of a start is really what you need. Um, you know, guys at the back end usually are yellers and screamers and, you know, and, and pitch on emotion. Um, it's not impossible. There's not, I mean, Max Scherzer does it as a starter. So, I mean, it's, it's not something that you have to have, but I mean, I think when you look at the collectively, just kind of the norm, that's what you kind of expect. Um, so, you know, he, he's deserved it. He's earned it. He, he's been the best guy in practice consistently every single day. Um, he also has the experience and the temperament for Friday nights, I, I believe, uh, to not only go late in the games, uh, but to be able to handle the, the pressure of having to pitch against everybody's best guy. Um, and so I think he deserves that. So he'll, he'll lead off Friday. Saturday will be Connor Stain, big transfer from Maryland. Um, in terms of stuff, he, he's our best guy. Um, he may have been a, you know, 94 to 97 with four pitches, all, all above average, um, has, a, has a, a big league body. Um, and with a big league arm, um, you know, obviously he's pitched a little bit in Maryland, lacks some of that experience, but, um, you know, has done a great job, has come right in and, and fit in with our team, done a, done a great job, has really learned um, how to handle his, his emotions. He, he is an emotional guy. I mean, I do compare him to Max Scherzer in terms of he pitches with emotion. He, he gets really amped up and excited um, when he's out there. So we, we've really worked and I've seen growth so much for him since he's been here, just handling the mental game, not allowing um, things to affect him. So I mean, he, he's done a great job. Um, Hunter Patterson will pitch on Sunday, uh, who obviously had a great year for us last year. Second half numbers were phenomenal. Got off to a little bit of a rough start, but we thought we got we got we had it to handle it. And, and again, especially when Colton went down, he stepped up and really and picked up the slack. Um, so I'm excited to him to start off you know, where he left off last year. Um, and again, I think all three of those guys can be Friday night starters for us. So it just, again, shows the starter depth, elite talent. Um, all three of those guys are professional, are going to be professional pitchers. Um, but to have a guy like Hunter Patterson, who could easily be our ace throwing on Sunday, just shows how good I feel like our pitching staff can be. Uh, so really excited about the weekend rotation. You know, Tuesday, you know, I really am just going to figure it out after the weekend and, and see who's pitched and who hasn't and who we've used um, because we got a lot of guys in the bullpen that I think need to pitch and, and, and we're going to use in bit high leverage situations. And then we'll kind of be able to, to re reevaluate after the weekends and, and figure out what we need to do on the weekdays. That line so that Murphy used to say, Johnny Holstaff, right? Johnny Holstaff. <laughs> yeah. Murph would write that down there in the tweet there. Yeah. Now with Lich now in the starting rotation, what does that mean for the back end of the bullpen, which is so important, obviously, since you've gotten here, how do you see your back end of the bullpen looking like? Yeah, so Will Saxton, um, Will, Will, and Ben Vespi will be our two guys at the back end of the game that we really believe in. Will Saxton, again, big left-handed pitcher, up to 97, um, a big curveball, good changeup, but again, pitches with a ton of emotion. Um, fastball is really hard to hit. It's got a lot of deception, but also because he has got some, some um, high RPMs on it, um, and in the high velocity, like it really plays up. We really have tr trouble barreling up his fastball the entire, ever since he's been here. And so, um, you know, but he can also has, has worked longer innings, not only in, in the past and FIU, but also for us, we kind of have toyed with him being a starter. So I believe that he can be a, a non-conventional guy in terms of not just a one inning guy, but he can throw two, three, you know, we really kind of have researched, you know, what, what the guy at Arkansas and Mississippi state last year did Carter cops and, um, and uh, Landon Sims where they were closers, but Carter cops would throw six innings some days. Um, and so we kind of have, have, looked into that and just kind of envisioned that kind of person where um, it's not just one inning, one inning, one inning. It, it might be two and a third. It might be three. It might be one, it, it, whatever the case is. 
Um, he's one of our top four arms. And so we got to make sure that we use him. I don't want to use him for 25 or 30 innings this year. I want to make sure we get him up to that 50, 60 range. Uh, and just how we do that uh, will be will be a difference maker. But obviously, Ben Vespi had a fresh, great freshman year last year, has been really good again for us. Um, and he needs to pitch in those high leverage situations as well. So, um, so and then and then Zach Hunsaker as well. Uh, I mean, guys that have experience uh, that have pitched in those situations. I mean, those three guys along with, you know, Cy Cox, who's a freshman left-hander that's really difficult on lefties. I mean, I envision those four guys this opening weekend being, you know, if the game is close, uh, that those are going to be the guys that, that close the door, uh, whether it's a left-on-left -left matchup or right or whatever the case is. But And some mixture of one, two, three, or all four of them pitching in a game. Um, and if it is one inning apiece, great. If it's two of them get to throw today and then two of them are going to throw tomorrow um, in the same situations. Um, I mean, I think those are our, 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 you know, right now our main guys at the end of the game at the, at the back end of the bullpen. How important would you say depth is to the, to this bullpen? Because Zach Bennett had, had some really good time last season at the at back end of the game, but I noticed on your new TikTok page that he's in a cast. So yeah. Are you able to talk about him and just how important depth is for your bullpen when things like that can happen to a guy? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, Zach had Tommy John surgery uh, about a month ago. So you know, obviously won't have him this year. And, and, you know, we expected really he was going to be a big part of the bullpen as a setup guy or a closer. Um, and so obviously, but again, because we have the, the depth, I mean, I think last year we lacked the depth on, on the pitching staff with experience where we had a lot of freshmen, Ben Vespi and, and Zach Bennett and Nick Vieira and guys like that, that were um, really having to, to step up and pitch a lot um, where this year we've got a lot more experience at the back end, whether it be with us or whether it be in junior college or, or other schools and transferring um, that allows us to, you know, next man up. Like, um, and again, we're not putting a ton of pressure on some of the younger guys um, that are going to have to play major roles. Uh, they might turn into major roles, but they don't have the pressure of putting them in situations where maybe they're just not ready for. But as we get them their feet wet and get them into some games and get, and get them, you know, acclimated and understanding and learning that they, they will be able to step up if anything happens during the year, but definitely a lot deeper, a lot older than we were last year on, on both sides of the ball. And so definitely gives you some, um, some depth, but also gives you some, you know, peace of mind knowing that we've got some dudes at the back end that um, can really help us uh, and really close the door on games. Greg, you, you were a catcher and I know how much you rely on your catchers to really control the game, you know, not just, not just defensively, but, you know, especially with your pitchers, you got three good ones, obviously Ben McCabe's back. Uh, but you also got Riley Walsh, who's that redshirt senior, who's a local kid who transferred down from Pitt. I'm guessing you're going to get some some work in. And you got a young freshman, Andrew Sunday, who's a big kid, 6'5", yeah. as yeah. a catcher. And, you know, I, I know how important that, that that it is for you. But, you know, you lose – those are some big shoes that those guys have to fill with Crouch gone now. Um, but at least you got some experience coming back, right? Yeah, no doubt. And obviously Crouch is huge. I mean, he's, you know, it's tough when I, you know, the goal American league gold glove winner is, is one of my catchers. Um, and so it's tough to say that Crouch is the best catcher I've ever had. Um, uh, but definitely he's right up there with Sean Murphy, um, as just a guy that was a leader and, and really the pitching staff trusted. And so it's definitely big shoes. And so you, you also didn't mention Cole Russo, who is a guy that can play first, third and catch. And so we right. really have four catchers to, to choose from. And it definitely gives us, uh, a huge opportunity to be able to do different things, but give guys, 
you know, last year we had to ride Crouch really hard just with Romano's injury and having to have McCabe. And our third string catcher was Jordan Rathbone. So we had all three catchers playing in the game at one time. And so it was really tough to, you, you couldn't give anybody a day off. Like Crouch caught four games in three days every weekend um, where I don't have to do that this year. Uh, where again, you know, whether it's Ben or Riley or, 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 um, or, or Cole catching um, opening day, like I've got ability to give guys days off to not, to not wear them down, to be able to maneuver stuff. I mean, if, if Crouch got on and it was the tying run at second base, it was really tough to, to pinch run because what am I going to do? Like I'd put Rathbone back there and McCabe and, and that kind of stuff. And then who am I going to put it first or the outfield? Um, and so this year, just again with the depth, like it gives me the opportunity to be able to do those kind of things if, if the game calls for it. And so uh, we have, you know, four catchers with Andrew as well that just give us the ability to do different things. And, you know, I don't know, I think you're going to see a little bit of all of them back there at some point. Um, and so, um, again, but it, I think that the guys have done a great job in, behind the plate of, of working with the pitching staffs uh, and getting you know comfortable and, and making sure that the pitchers feel comfortable with those guys. And so I feel like we can run anybody out there and, and feel comfortable with that. I don't know if he'll ever be as comfortable as you are with Josh Crouch, but, um, you know, we got guys that can get at least close to it. Of course, you're led by Jeffrey Pena in the outfield. He's the leader there. I mean, it's been amazing to see him, his development. And I, I feel like there's another ceiling for him. Talk about him in the rest of the outfield. Yeah, again, I mean, last year was Jeffrey's first full season of college baseball. You know, he, he was on the team in 19, but only got, I don't know, 10 at-bats or something like that and and played a lot of, like, late-inning defensive substitutions or pinch running. But he never had the, the, to deal with 200 at-bats and how do you handle that. And so, again, the 2020, he gets off to a great start. But, again, it's only 18 games and 50 or whatever, 60 at-bats. So, Last year, having to go through that 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 full season, I think, was great for him. Uh, he's definitely, you know, things that he needed to work on, like cutting down the strikeouts. Uh, I thought he's done a good job of that in practice. Um, and obviously, he's an elite center fielder um, and, and really locks down our, our outfield. So um, so obviously to have him. And then you got basically the mirror and Trent Taylor, you know, a fifth year or sixth year senior guy has been on our program for three years. Uh, that has the skill set very similar to Jeffrey can hit home runs is, is, is just as fast as Jeffrey, just as defensive. Um, and so it gives us again, opportunity, the guy that, that maybe can step up and play uh, one of the corner for us, come in for defensive or pinch running, um, it, which would be huge. I mean, again, if he can play the way that I know that he can, I mean, he can have a monster year for us. Um, he's just got to be able to handle uh, the ebbs and flows of failure in this game. And so, but Trent has definitely a lot of, potential to be a to be a frontline guy for us uh Pablo Ruiz same thing got off to a great start as a freshman in 20 um is injured uh beginning of last year um and that really just affected him just could never get the timing until later in the year and he, and he finished well but the first half of the year for him was 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 not even remotely close to his talent level so he's healthy now uh hopefully he can get off to a good start like he did in 2020 because he has again the skill set he's hit a bunch of home runs in practice in inter-squad games so he has the ability. Lex Bodecker, uh, as a freshman, has been one of our best hitters. Uh, Left-handed power guy from up in Ohio um, that um, has, I think, led our team in batting average. Um, you know, hit a home run over the batter's eye uh, earlier a couple of weeks ago. So, I mean, again, another guy that has versatility, uh, but left-handed power, definitely the a middle-of-the-order guy for the future for our program. Um, but he can also play the outfield. And so I think, you know, those, those four guys really, and Josen, you know, can play the outfield. So, I mean, I think those, that group of guys really has stepped up and you say, uh, man, they're, they're de deep and, and can really be um, talent wise can, 
can can be all conference type guys. Um, and so excited about that. Um, you know, and again, you, you know, seeing what happens with John Rice Plumley, and, and if he gets the waiver from the NCAA, um, that gives us another guy out there. So, um, you know, just just excited about the depth. And, and I, again, it makes my job a little harder. You know, I think normally this time of year, it's like, all right, these are my nine guys or, you know, maybe I got to play this guy versus a lefty and platoon this guy for a righty. And even right now, as we've talked two days before opening day, like I literally have no idea what the starting lineup is going to be. I got so many options and um, it's a good, it's a good problem to have. Right. But it definitely, it makes it a little more difficult for me because I got to figure out what the best matchups is. How do I get everybody in the game and, you know, over the course of the weekend and um, you know, there's going the great thing about our team right now is the culture is awesome, but I haven't put out a lineup yet. And, and that's always the big first test is there's going to be guys that aren't playing and, and how do they handle that? And, and do they really buy into the team aspect and, and all that? Um, and, you know, I do believe that we have the right guys, but you know, time will tell if that is true or not. It's a good problem to have when you, you know, because it means you got a lot of options. That's a good, it's better to have a too many options than no options. And I, I think that's situation. Now you mentioned the Plumlee situation. That's still to be figured out, but I'm so fascinated by this story. Cause I remember being on the field for the Oklahoma series, covering the Oklahoma series and talking sure. to you in the post game and how blown away you were by a young outfielder named Kyler Murray, yeah. who's ended up being the number one draft pick. And I'll never forget your comment about how you were blown away that this guy was like the best player on the field, basically being a part-time baseball player. And he ended yeah. up being a top 10 first round draft pick. Now you've got a kid in Plumlee who's playing two sports. Talk about how did that process work with you and coach Malzahn and how does that work uh, in that process to bring you, to bring him in like that. And obviously you both are going to be, have to work together as far as him handling football and baseball obligations. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, obviously he goes into the portal and, you know, he goes in into the, you know, there's, you can go in a different sport. So obviously I don't look at football as portal. So I just look at baseball. So I saw him in the portal, but for, to me, it irrelevant knowing who he is and that he's going to want to play football. So, you know, I think normally when guys go into the portal, if we believe that they can help us, we reach out and try to get background and see what's going on, what they're looking for and all those kind of things, obviously with John Rice, you know, nothing that really was going to pique my interest because it didn't matter if I was interested uh, if he wanted to play football. So, um, but then I, I got a call from, from coach Malzahn and um, you know, and he, obviously had interest and wanted to know if we had interest and if we had a spot and what we thought. And, um, and so obviously we did our background stuff and, you know, and obviously just kept in touch with, with coach, uh, with coach Malzahn over the, the, the next couple hours and, and days. And um, obviously they, they reached out and, and started dialogue with him. Um, and then we kind of jumped in the mix of saying like, yeah, this is what we can do and this is where we're at and, and we have interest and, and all that kind of stuff. So we just kind of, started to to hit him from both sides and um and obviously but football being the big decision for him just making sure that he was going somewhere where he, where he felt comfortable so um and then it's tough you know this is my my first time we've had a guy that's that's going to play both sports um and so definitely a learning curve to it and what the expectations are from football what the expectations are for us and obviously been a little bit tougher because coach hasn't been around very much obviously with 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 christy and everything like that so um but you know, it's, it's a dynamic that's, that's, that's interesting. Um, it can be difficult at times. It can be easy at times. There's some, some things that really match up well with both sports here at UCF, just in terms of timing. Um, but also, you know, there, there's a lot that goes into it with NCAA rules and, and trying to, 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 to stay under those different types of restrictions. And so it's definitely been a challenge. And obviously it, 
it's difficult. You know, the thing with Kyler was that when we watched video of Kyler early on in the season, it just was like a different player. We played them like in late May. Um, and so just to see his growth of actually being at the baseball field and playing um, and getting all these at bats, going back to that experience, like he was an inexperienced guy that had probably touched a bat in six months. And now all of a sudden in the three months of playing, he just got better and better and better. And, um, you know, the player that we saw in video was not the player that we saw in the games. And, and you just saw that growth. And he was by far the best player on the field that day. Um, if we had played him in week three, he probably would have not been the best. I mean, I know he wouldn't have been the best player in the field. He might not have been the top 10 players on the field that day. Um, and so just to see that, I think in order to do both, you just have to have this acumen. You have to have this ability athletically. You have to have this um, aptitude to be able to, to learn things on the fly and be and quick because what our hitters are having to learn over the course of we've been hitting every day since August 25th. Um, John Rice has not been doing that. And so how do you, how do you, how do you catch up in terms of reps and, and being able to see the baseball and, and timing? That's the, what makes hitting the hardest thing to do is, is not only having a good swing, but having the, the hand-eye coordination and the timing. And I think a lot of poor at bats are just about bad timing. And so um, how do you get on, on track with that? And so, um, just trying to get him on pace as fast as we possibly can uh, while trying to juggle two sports and installing, you know, an offense that he doesn't know, like, um, you know, it, it's obviously, but the kid has an unbelievable work ethic. The kid has unbelievable skill set, um, you know, and, and um, you know, obviously on both sides in terms of both sports, he, he, I think he can help UCF in a lot of different ways. So excited whenever that is, whether that's this weekend or next weekend or next year, like whenever he's eligible, he's definitely going to be a, a big part of our program. And I, and I know he's going to be a big part of, about, a, about a football. First guy to, first guy to do uh, football and baseball since D Brown here yeah. at UCF. But that was a long time yeah. ago. That was 2004, I think. Go it's ahead. Bryce. You look at, you look at it. D Brown's probably the greatest hitter in UCF history. Yep. So to be able to play yeah. two sports and, um, you know, I think he's the career leader in hits. He's top five in RBIs and um, maybe doubles or home run. I mean, he, he is in top five in almost every major major category. And to do that by playing both sports, you know, scary to think what his numbers would have been if he was swinging a bat full time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Bryson. Coach, you you talked earlier about how during last season you had to have all three of your catcher eligible players out in the field at the same time i think that some of the, the one of the biggest themes that we've kind of been going over multiple times in this interview has been your depth and had been your depth so would you say your team is more prepared for when things go wrong that, than they were last season because you know obviously with the, with injuries and the pandemic being what it was then you know things kind of did go that way. So would you say this, this time around, you're a little more prepared for those, for those situations? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, one, obviously like going back to the depth and recruiting, recruiting talented players and having, you know, we feel like are 38 really super talented kids, but also the experience and age. Um, it's, it's, it's easy. Um, to say like, oh, well, we have some talent, but then you have the experience, but also do you have the, the maturity and the age and, you know, you're having to put freshmen that are inexperienced and maybe, you know, unprepared or, you know, again, if Trent Taylor's not playing or Pablo Rees isn't playing, you have guys that are older, that are 21, 22, 23 years old, um, that are mature enough and understand the maybe the bigger picture and, and maybe you're more team oriented. And so, I mean, I think just from a totality standpoint, like we look at all the different angles, um, it's definitely exciting to, 
to kind of know that, you know, we can, we can overcome some things, but we can also, and whether that's poor play or, you know, injuries or whatever the case is. And again, late inning, um, you know, tactical stuff. Like there's a lot of different options that we have a lot of great players, a lot of talented kids that again, um, I've got 12 guys minimum offensively right now that I feel like in any other year, they're guaranteed to start and might hit in the top five or six in our lineup. And that's going to be our entire lineup, you know, one through 12 any day that we go out there. A couple of things, uh, instant replay college baseball. I've heard that uh, it will be used in conference play. Is that accurate that the Americans talk about instant replay and some of the other rule changes uh, this off season, college baseball. Yeah. So in the past, I mean, we've obviously had it in the postseason, Um, and then basically it was a team by team thing. You could have, you could have replay, um, in those non-con games, um, and non-conference games, you could have it if the other team, the other team had it. Um, and then last year we voted as a league to, if, cause in originally, if, if the league didn't vote for it, then we couldn't do it. So even though the NCA said you could use it, we, we were not allowed to use it in conference games. And then last year we voted as a coaching staff that we thought that the other team, if, if anyone had it. We wanted to use it, but we weren't mandating it. So last year, I think Wichita had it. I think uh, ECU had it. And I think Tulane had it at their parks. Any games that were played at their parks, there was instant replay. Any of the other parks, there was not instant replay. Um, and then this offseason, we as coaches voted that we thought that we should mandate it, um, that all parks should have it. So that was pushed through by the by the ADs and SWA. So this year in all conference games, we will have, we will have instant replay. So um, there will be some – I don't know exactly in the non-conference games for us, if we'll have it. Um, I believe we'll have it on some games, not some games. It just depends on obviously what, where, what we're, what stream, where, where we're streaming the games and, and what's going on around campus is if we have a, um, you know, basketball game going on the same day or softball game or spring football game. So there's a lot of things that go into that, I think, but um, I don't know if we'll have it for every game, no games. Um, not hundred percent sure on that, but we will, we are mandated by the league to have it for every conference game this year. How do you like the system? Yeah. 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 What's the system like? Um, I mean, it's just most teams have, and I think it's a minimum of three or four cameras such situation situated around the field and whether that's part of their ESPN plus broadcast or whether it's something they're also doing streaming or for the video boards or scoreboards or whatever. So I think you have to have a minimum of three or four cameras. And then, um, then the umpires just have a, a room with a TV that, 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 you know, obviously somebody in the control room is able to show them those four different angles uh, that they have and see if the umpires see anything different um, than what they, the, the ruling on the field was. Is it like oh. uh, something where you can challenge a call? Yeah, so, I mean, there's some okay. different rules, and it's hard to get into all of it, but um, we have uh, two or three challenges a game, uh, but then also, uh, especially late in the game, I think it's the seventh inning on, then the umpire has the ability, if, if, if a coach questions anything, if they feel like they want to go to instant replay, they can. So, um Oh, um, so we have the ability to challenge, challenge it. Um, obviously I think if you win the challenge, it doesn't count. Um, and if you lose the challenge, then obviously you lose, you lose, you know, one of your, your abilities or your challenge kind of, uh, numbers or whatnot. So, uh, but then late in the game, um, you know, in the last couple innings, the umpires have the ability to, 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 to replay anything that they feel like is questionable or, or a coach is asking about or whatnot, just to make sure that they get the call right. So they're doing that. Get the call right. I want to ask you about schedule real quick too, Greg. You open up with Sienna. Mm-hmm. Joe Sheridan's coming back into town as their pitching coach. I know that's going to be that's going to be weird seeing him across from you. But uh, you know, aside from that, you know, Ole Miss is coming in. Uh, you guys have played them when they were uh, played them last year. 
Uh, Florida A&M coming into town as well. Greensboro, you're going to Florida State for a couple before the conference schedule starts. So a lot of usual suspects mixed in there. You know, Jacksonville, Miami, of course. But uh, it's good to have Ole Miss coming in and some of these other teams that are, even if they're not ranked, kind of right on the cusp there and were really good at, and, and had really good seasons last year and could really help out that uh, that RPI ranking. So tell us about how the schedule came through and what are you looking forward to the most? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, a uh, you know, again, and the American is such a grind. It's such a challenging conference. And I think that our non-conference games need to try to mirror that as much as possible to try to prepare us for what we're going to see when we get into conference play. And so obviously Sienna has been, been here for for so long and, and opening it up and obviously Tony's been there for 50 something years and, and just a you know obviously a great kind of uh, tradition I guess that's been going on with him and and good to have him back and uh, be big and good start to the season obviously you know tough going to Georgia Southern on the road they're a really good good program uh, really offensive uh, been good on the mound too so I mean they're just a really good Sunbelt program that uh, is going to be a huge challenge for us on the road uh, but you know obviously then we get Ole Miss going to be their fifth in the country. I think right now they should be top five when they get here. Um, that's going to be a huge challenge. We obviously went up there and, and had a chance to sweep, took two out of three from them. They're obviously probably going to be hungry. We're not going to be surprising them. That's for sure. Um, um, but they'll be ready, but it'll be a huge challenge at home. Um, and then again, we've got Greensboro, Sanford, but obviously the, the Florida state series on the road, the Miami at home, which again, those two teams, Florida state will probably be top five or 10 Miami will be top 15. Um, so you're getting some really high level competition that you gotta, you gotta show up and you gotta, you gotta, they're great benchmarks. These are the types of teams you got to beat in regionals and super regionals. If we want to go to Omaha, but it's also a good benchmark against the teams in our league, but it gives you an idea of where you're at, what you need to get better at. Um, but also gets to showcase you against some of the best teams in the country. And if you want to be one of the best, you know, or the, be the best, you got to beat the best. So um, you, you got to go and, and, and play well against those guys. And so um, again, you, FAU obviously perennially ranked um, North Florida has been good. Jacksonville always scrappy and, and has given us a lot of problems. So um a lot of these games are, are, are going to be challenging, which is going to help us be better for conference, going to prepare us for the for the regionals going, you know, last year going to a place like Ole Miss, that's they host regionals and super regionals almost every year. So you get to be in those atmospheres. Florida State be the same thing. Playing at their park is not easy. So you get to be in those regional type atmospheres, playing in Miami late in the year. Like those all things are going to prepare us uh, not only for playing in hostile environments like in East Carolina, but also when we get to a regional and playing in those type of environments. So I think the schedule plays out well. Uh, it challenges us, um, you know, and gives us a weekly opportunity to go out and prove to everybody how good we think we can be. Think about shows this. to the depth of the state in the in the state of Florida here. The depth here shows. I mean, you mentioned in Miami, you're playing Florida State. I mean, South Florida made the super regional there. I mean, this state is stacked that has to help too when you schedule that you're going to get tested, you know, on a daily, you know, in state taking a bus trip. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the, the, um, Florida's a uh, uberly talented state of baseball, uh, from the talent in high school levels to junior colleges to obviously just the programs and coaches. And and obviously, we're doing a very good job recruiting in Florida, but we're also going to get some kids that you know don't want to don't want to play in the snow, want to come down and enjoy the sunshine down here. So I mean, I think it's just obviously a um, you know, I think KZ talked about it with the, the you know, the, why would you want to go to play in baseball and the football in the Midwest, let alone a sport that starts when there's, <laughs> I there's right. you know, I think Ryan Taylor, Ryan Taylor, one of our freshmen from Wisconsin parents, they're trying to get out to come down for opening weekend. He said they're about to get hit with 30 inches of snow. Like, um, why, why would you ever want to try to play a sport where you, your opening day is 30 inches of snow, you know, so. 
Um, I, I think that, you know, the, the programs down here just do a great job of recruiting, developing, and, you know, it's obviously a huge challenge every single time you try to play one of those teams, no matter who they are, no matter what conference they're in, they're all going to be really talented. Yeah. It's the best time of year. It's college baseball season. It's also WrestleMania season, coach. I can't leave you without asking you about wrestling. Congrats. You nailed the Royal Rumble again. You beat me and Murph. So to salute to you, I'm going to pick, you pick this topic. There's a lot of wrestling news. We can't get into all of it, but I just want you pick the one you were interested in. Brock Lesnar is a baby face, you know, possibly headlining WrestleMania against Roman Reigns, winning the Rumble, which you picked. Stone Cold Steve Austin reportedly possibly coming out of retirement to be in WrestleMania to face Kevin Owens or Cody Rhodes leaving AEW to go possibly back to WWE. Which of those three you you go ahead you pick? Uh, well, I'm I'm still upset that The Rock is not wrestling Roman Reigns. I think that's why they're not making money off of that. I'm not <laughs> a big Brock Lesnar guy, so I'm not really interested in that. Uh, Cody Rhodes, I'm still not sure that that's not a shoot and that that's all Ooh. that's all that he's gonna pop up on Dynamite next week. Um, and my okay. walkout song when I played was none other than Stone Cold Steve Austin. So there's nothing more excited than I am, not even remotely in the same stratosphere as if that guy comes out of retirement. Um, I will be glued to the TV and um, it, it more than excited to see him back in the ring and and uh. You know, rumors obviously saying that he might go up against Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens is dropping some some shade on the state of Texas, and some people think that that's <laughs> yes, the be, be, be the match and stunner versus stunner and all that stuff. So um, I would be jacked up uh, to see him back in the ring one more time. Hey, we're gonna get Harlan and uh, and Von Wagner like out here, two former UCF football players out here. Greg, come on, we got to get Ooh, these guys out I here. I know we got wrestling yeah. night coming up, so you never know who's gonna show up. You know. They were at the they were at the, the basketball game a couple weeks ago. I That's know true. a couple other guys from NXT. We, yeah, you know, I was there. I saw them. So hopefully I, I keep I keep pounding the table. I'm like, we got to get those two guys in a match at some point. Have a UCF have a UCF versus UCF thing. Is just settle it. I don't understand why on wrestling night we don't have a ring right outside the stadium. And I know. Right That's there. what I'm saying. Need money. I don't think I haven't I haven't pitched that idea. <laughs> just have and have Todd Dagenet as the special guest referee. You yeah. go. You're covered. You know what I mean? I mean, we're sad. I think you're going like, to get Dagenet you know, looks I think, like he could be a referee. That's you have that oh, image in my head and I can't get it out now. That's a natural. I think you're going to get Reigns Rock by the way. I think they're saving it for LA a year from yeah. now. I, I think know. you're going to get that. I think they're, okay. they're, they're, they're Yeah. Well, the Rock was busy, you know, hyping up the Super Bowl this weekend, we'll so see. Yeah, but All right, Greg Lovelady, thank That's you so true. much for joining us. We That's really true. appreciate the depth and the and the insight that you give us every year, man, it's what spring has sprung. Baseball is back and uh, it's it's going to be fun. And hey, this year also, we got the new scoreboards up and running and the new and, and at uh, FanFest, they test out the new audio system and it sounds really good in the park now, doesn't it? Yeah, it's going to be crazy. I mean, I think there's a lot of great things going on. I mean, uh, the stadium and the sounds, I mean, the scoreboard and the sound system is just going to elevate uh, the experience. And uh, I think you've got an in, inexpensive family entertainment opportunity here. And it's not just about the baseball. I think there's going to be a lot of entertaining things. We've got fireworks and things yeah. like that planned all year. Uh, Citronaut Saturdays is going to be a big one. A uh, bunch of surprises for that coming this Saturday. So um, it, it's going to be a, a, I think something that families should all be out for. Uh, I think it's going to be great for the kids. They can run around. You're not stuck in a seat. I uh, get to watch a bunch of good kids that they, they want to be involved in the community and care about the community, but uh, an inexperienced, inexpensive 
family experience is what this is going to be like, I think. And uh, I'm jacked up for the season. I'm excited to see a whole bunch of fans. Fan Fest was unbelievable. The turnout was awesome. And if that's a, uh, a, a prelude to what, what the rest of the season is going to be like, I can't wait to see how many people should come through the doors and, and really, you know, support us. But there, there's no baseball. There's no, there's no professional baseball within an hour of here. Um, and I think that, you know, talk about Orlando's hometown team. I think we are Orlando's baseball team. Um, and I think that people are missing out if they're not coming out and seeing the brand of baseball, the, the people that we have, the, the kids that are out there playing their tails off. Um, it's something that I think people are not only from a baseball side, but, the, but now the, the experience is going to change. And I think it's going to be a great, a great thing that you don't want to miss out on. Yeah, those those kids are also really enjoying your new TikTok account. It looks like, <laughs> <laughs> and not my TikTok account they're enjoying, but they got they 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 have conned me into being being a part of it. So, but it's cool. I mean, I'm excited about it, and anything that you know shows off our our players and our program, and I'm all for. That's fun, man. So, and like you said, I love the Dollar Dog Night on Friday nights. That's fantastic. Yeah. Citron on Saturday is going to be cool. There's a lot of cool stuff coming down the pike. So make sure you check out the schedule which starts Friday, 6 p.m., UCF against Siena to start the three-game series. Uh, Saturday, 4 p.m., Sunday, 1 p.m., ESPN Plus, and all of them if you can't make it, but get down to John Uliano Park because it's going to be a lot of fun. Greg Lovelady, thank you so much for joining us. We will see you Friday night. Best of luck this weekend. Best of luck the entire season. We'll see you at the park. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. All right. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. <laughs> We are back here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff and Eric back with you here as uh, as we wrap up the show. Thanks again to Greg Lovelady for joining us. Lots to talk about with UCF softball, Eric. Four and one start. Wow. Extra inning game against uh, Georgia. Seven, six in the opener. Eight innings. You got the walk-off call. That was <laughs> all over social media. It was great. Lost three to one in Minnesota in the second game, but since then beat Fresno State, who's receiving votes six to one. Beat Longwood nine to one, and beat another team receiving votes uh, on Tuesday night. Liberty, uh, head coached by Dot Richardson, uh, three to nothing. So very good start for UCF as they get ready for the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational, and they're in the top twenty-five. Yeah, ranked twenty-fourth in all the major polls, uh, including the ESPN poll, and a good start. Four and one. Came all Woodall. The transfer from ECU has been stellar as a reliever, and then started the Liberty game going six-plus innings, getting a shutout ball there. Gianna Macha closing it out. Caitlin Felton, the freshman in the win against Fresno State, six-plus innings, one run or less. The second freshman pitcher in her debut to have that quality of a start, McKenzie Otis being the other back in 2012. Jada Cody's a beast, 10 RBIs in the last three games. So a lot of positives here for Coach Paul Malone through five games in. And after the Liberty win, I had a quick chat with her, and I talked to her about what has she learned about her team through five games plus of course she just picked up her 100th win already at UCF I just felt like she got here I don't know anyway we talk about that and then of course go into Clearwater for the marquee tournament here's coach Paul Malo you know you're facing a challenging start to the schedule we'll talk about what's coming but what have you learned so far about your team you didn't know going in yeah um wasn't too sure what our defense was going to do and um we talked about it actually yesterday you know defensively we've We've uh, we put pressure on ourselves from our offense, putting pressure on our defense, and then I realized, oh, wait, we're doing that to other teams too. So our defense isn't what we thought it was. It's actually better. Um, and so, you know, continuing to grow with that. But we're young. You know, we're winning, and we still we still have some bats in the lineup that haven't 
come around. You know, Shannon Doherty, she's been squaring some balls up, but you still haven't seen Shannon Doherty. So um, I'm excited for when all of that gets put together um, because it's going to come, and when it does, watch out. 100 wins here. I mean, is it blown by? I mean, you got you got celebrated there at the at the end there with a bucket on a chilly night. But a hundred wins. What 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 comes to your mind when you think of that? I just think great teams, tradition, winning tradition. You know, I I got to come to come into a great program and pitching wins a lot of ball games. And you know, we've, we've always had great pitching here. And now um, I got to take a picture with the three that they all got a hundred wins with with me. So Denali Shotclocker, Demario Cannon, and Aaliyah White. Um, they've all contributed to that as well. But um, blessed to be a part of a very successful program and players that buy into our culture. And, um, yeah, it got too quick. Got quick. Uh, now you're on a bus trip to Clearwater, a marquee tournament that the softball world will be watching all weekend long. It's a great competition there. What What do you kind of expect to see there? What do you want to see from your team there? Great competition in national television audiences all weekend long. And uh, top 25 matchups, which uh, you're included. 12 teams ranked, and you're uh, we're one of them. Um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to the bus trip. You know, we've only taken one. We took we went to a, a day trip to Florida in the fall. So um, getting in a hotel with this group <laughs> and, and all of our youngsters and getting to know them that way. But, um, you know, I love that we're going to be able to play in that venue and play in that atmosphere. Um, I feel like we got a bit of that, especially in our Thursday night um, you know, home opener. Um, and so I love the energy and how... So we were young. We looked like nuts out there. You know, it didn't. It didn't surprise us. Uh, and it didn't overwhelm us. And I, I think we vibed off of that energy. And, you know, this group's fun. This group. This group keeps you on the toes, especially when they're ice cold. You've got dumps, ice water dumps on you. But uh, this group is fun, and we're still learning each other and learning, you know, what we can do and continue to do. All right, I was Coach Ball Malone right after the Liberty win, Jeff, and uh, it's. Uh, it's pretty amazing, like I said, uh, what she's learned to five games. To fit, you know, offensively, I still think they're trying to find their identity there a little bit. Uh, they got a lot of speed. They could score in a variety of ways. I think she's struggling to figure out that middle to bottom part of the lineup. But you got Cody. You got Doherty, who hasn't even really hit yet. We know what she's capable of. Shotpocker gets on base. Uh, there's good. I, I've been really impressed with the pitching staff. That was the biggest question I had. You know, I'm telling you, Woodall's been better than here than she was at any point at East Carolina. I talked to her after the game. She's happier here, loves the teammates. She wants to be in a postseason. She wants to make the tournament, and I think she likes working with Coach Ball Malone. So it's going to be tremendous. That being said, UCF now is going to bust to Clearwater, in in my opinion, in the 20-plus years, history of this program, 20-year anniversary. This will be the hardest regular season weekend in the history of this program, when you look at who they're playing, Wisconsin, which is a perennial winning program out of the Big Ten, they got their Big Ten player of the year, Kayla Cohn, went back. They got number 16, Michigan. They got two All-American pitchers, a legendary head coach in Carol Hutchins. They got to play on Friday. They play Texas Tech late Friday in the what I call the Renee Gillespie Bowl. Uh, she, she coached both programs at one point. Saturday, Tennessee, also in the top 20. They're loaded. Uh, Amanda Scarborough, my good friend, ESPN analyst, uh, calls him as a sleeper for the World Series, rightfully so. Texas, number nine in the country. Primetime, Saturday night. Beth Mowens, Michelle Smith, Amanda Scarborough, the A-team for softball. We call their first UCF game ever. Texas is loaded. And then the re- the rematch, 
for the regional final from Tallahassee, number six, Florida State on Sunday. That is a stacked weekend, Jeff. Stacked. Unbelievable. Murderers Row. Six games in four days. Excuse me. One on Thursday, the two on Friday, two on Saturday, and the one on Sunday before they come home. And, oh, by the way, they got FIU on Wednesday. They go to Miami afterwards. Yeah. But this is, look, all these games are going to be on the family, ESPN family and networks. The majority of them are on ESPN plus the Wisconsin game, ESPNU, 1 o'clock Thursday. And then the Texas game is on the Longhorn Network. Check your ESPN apps. You should be able to get all those channels. But look, this is a big stage for them. This is what they're playing for. This is a World Series feel. I've been to this tournament. It's going to be packed. They're going to be a better team for going through this. But I want to caution everybody. Good teams in this field are going to go winless. Good teams are going to win one or two games. There's 16 teams in this field. 12 of them are ranked. Ranked. And so I'm not don't even counting. freak out is what you're saying. Correct. It's Yes, correct. Okay. You can go two and four and have a successful weekend. I'm, and I'm not just saying that for UCF. I'm saying that for a lot of teams in this tournament. <laughs> we'll see. The, South uh, Florida, by the way, is also in this bill. They're receiving votes in Notre Dame. Tells you how stacked this is. This is a World Series quality yeah. field. Yeah, this is big. And uh, so, so, all right. Well, we're going to – good experience coming into this one to get ready for that you know, that postseason grind. Um, you get to really measure yourself really quickly against this, against this group right now. And we'll be already over the 10 game mark when that's all finished up. So here's, here's to hopefully for some good weather at the Eddie Seymour complex in Clearwater. Uh, and again, ESPN plus for most of these games, you see, is playing on Wisconsin on Thursday on ESPN U. That's right. Um, and then of course, Longhorn Network for the game on Saturday against Texas at seven. Yep. I think we could probably pick that up on ESPN Plus. I'm not I have it. Sure, I so. have it. Uh, okay. So it depends on your cable provider. So check your uh, okay. cable listings. All right. Track and field, real quick. Uh, Renaya Jones, third straight AAC Athlete of the Week uh, honor uh, on Tuesday at Clemson. Uh, personal best, eight point oh three to win her sixty. Uh, uh, to win the sixty meter hurdles. And she set a new school record. That was in the prelims. And then in the final, she breaks the school record held previously by Jackie Coward, who was actually, remember, Jackie was our very first interview on this podcast. That's right. You interviewed um, her. Yeah. All those, all those years ago uh, when she was trying out for the Olympics in 2016 in Rio, um, three-time indoor All-American Jackie Coward, I should say, uh, 8.01. For Renaya Jones in the 60 meter hurdles to set a new school record. Uh, and uh, also, she has now matched Anne Marie Blaney for the most weekly honors in the American. Four weekly honors as a member to the, for the. Uh, Just name the, the award after her. Just yeah. name the award. The Renaya Jones Track Athlete of the Week. Yeah. I think it has a nice ring to it. But congrats to Renaya. She's an absolute star. Absolute star. And, you know, to now start eclipsing. Names like Jackie Coward, man. We are at a peak right now. You talk about the Equinox. We're at the Equinox of female, great female athletes right now at UCF. When you consider Rania Jones, McKenna Melville, Jada Cody, all on the same campus at the same time, Jeff. Same time. And, uh, uh, wow. I'm looking forward to seeing. She's 2024 in Paris, man. I'm marking it down. We're going to see Rania Jones in the Olympics one day. And we're all going to, and we are all witnesses. 
All right, to this. I'm, I can't wait to see. We got to send you out there. You're Mr. Olympics on this show. Oh, I want to go. I would love to go out to Paris. It could be you. Well, Olympics, well she's on the U.S. Holy national smokes. team. You've got an excuse. I know. The uh, uh, and one other thing that I wanted to uh, mention also here uh, that that just got launched. Got some. Uh, got a little heads up on this earlier, but uh, congrats to uh, Mackenzie Milton and uh, the folks at uh, and the folks at his uh, venture Dreamfield. They have launched. Mission Control, which is the new NIL collective uh, for, uh, targeted for UCF student athletes. Um, uh, underscore Mission CTRL on Twitter. Um, God has thanks to uh, Corey uh, Stanisius who helped me out, who gave us the heads up on this. Um, we've we've heard about the collectives at Florida and Florida State. Now UCF has their own, Eric and. You know, whether or not you like the whole NIL thing, it's happening. And I think this is a good thing for UCF to kind of, for, for not UCF, remember, this is not affiliated with the athletic department directly, but right. this, is, this is an independent collective that enables UCF student athletes to profit off of their name, image, and likeness. Well, and here we had, of course, McKenzie Mitt. We had on the show talk about this. Uh, you can check that out in our archives, on our podcast feeds, and as well as our YouTube page. Uh, as big of an impact as McKenzie had on the program on the field, I feel like he will equally make a significant impact off the field by helping future UCF athletes. And I'm glad you said student athletes because it's not just football here. A lot of the athletes, especially in the Olympic sports, are benefiting from NIL, which is a good thing. And McKenzie's helping them out. I've heard great things from other athletes that are involved mm -hmm. with KZ and the company. Brings this a lot a of legitimacy to that. Yes, yes, credibility. Again, uh, that's significant. And to help these student athletes out, no one better than KZ. Uh, really, I think that's going to be his legacy off the field. Whatever happens in pro ball with praying plural and all that, off the field, his impact's going to go long past just on the field contributions. Yeah. So, um, Really interesting to take a look at this. I, I, I'm interested in finding out more about this, like how this all works, because you know we're all kind of learning about this on the fly. Some of these things are going to work, some of them are not. Um, I do agree. But they have that, a good game plan. They have a good game plan, though. They, they, that's you my can hope. Tell they've got their ducks in order. That's 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 my hope. And you know, having McKenzie in there, I think the, the most important thing is like he he gets it. There's a lot of similar things that are out there, not for UCF, but for other schools that can't, that there's a potential for a lot of shadiness with this kind of stuff, but having McKenzie in there, I think brings, like we said, brings that air of, of legitimacy. And also the, the ethos that, that I hope is that, you know, the student athletes come first and, you know, set them up for their careers to build that nest egg, like, like what we're hoping for. So, um, Listen, best of luck. To, I, I'm, I'm interested. I want to see if we can find out some more on this uh, going forward. So I think we've learned in the past. No, don't uh, don't doubt KZ, right? And anything he yeah. does. I think he, he's proven yeah. he's proven critics wrong before. And I think he could prove people wrong. If anybody wants to question anything he's doing right now, I don't I'm not. I definitely that kid not. does not take no for an answer easily. I'll right. tell you that. So um, again, congrats to KZ. Congrats to all the folks over there for launching. Let's see. Let's see what let's see what it's able to do. All right. As we wrap up here, thanks again to Greg Lovelady for uh, joining us to preview UCF baseball starting up go. this week. Play ball. New scoreboard ready to go. Let's light that thing Brian up. Brian Murphy, uh, we got we got free baseball. Murph, come out to the park, Murph. You know you miss a little baseball. Come on, Murph.
congratulations to, or, or also thanks to uh, the student of the game, Kyle Nash. Thanks also to Bryson Turner. Couldn't have Bryson on the show here, but uh, uh, again, thanks for his hard work. He's he's going to be covering baseball for us. Make sure you follow me. It's Bryson Turner, the S O T G. Um, and then uh, plenty of other things that we got going on. You'll be doing softball. Well, not this Eric weekend. Eric Lopez, because, Elo. I'll be tweeting. I'll be tweeting for right. You'll from be following everything water pretty tournament. closely. So, yep. 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 And uh, like basketball. Equinox is almost here. Yep. <laughs> so. Plenty of things to uh, talk about as we head into this, as, as the spring equinox, spring sports equinox makes its way forward for us. So for all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, I'm Jeff Jaron saying thank you so much for listening. Follow us, UCF Banneret underscore SBN. Also follow us at Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret and subscribe to our podcast if you don't already uh, on Android and Apple Podcasts as well. And if you do subscribe, give us a ring. Tell us how we are doing Thanks, everyone, for listening. Enjoy the weekend coming up. Busy one for you. Here we go.